Hey there, this is Andrea Nakayama with a quick note at the top of this week's episode. I want to acknowledge that there was an interruption in our normal release schedule due to the transition to our brand new website. We're sorry for that interruption, but we're super excited to have a new home on the web for the 15-Minute Matrix and for all of the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Go check it out at 15minutematrix.com and let us know what you think. And now, back to the episode. Hi, this is Corey Schuler, and today we'll be mapping Spearmint on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, healing foods, and herbs that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the Functional Matrix. The Functional Nutrition Matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Corey Schuler. Dr. Corey Schuler is an integrative nurse practitioner at Synergy Family Physicians in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. He teaches courses in nutrition at Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine and New York Chiropractic College. Corey also serves in Nature's Way as Director of Clinical Science and Education. He is also a certified nutrition specialist and has earned advanced degrees in nutrition, chiropractic medicine, phytotherapeutics, and business. Corey, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm excited to be here. So when I first reached out to you to be on the podcast, you were very definitive that we discussed Spearmint. Why is Spearmint top of mind for you right now? I mean, I've been paying attention to, I, I do this, right? I pay attention to like <laughs> single ingredients or single nutrients, um, I guess, before they get popular. I kind of want to be ahead of the curve a little bit. Maybe that's just my... I don't know, my own insecurity. No, <laughs> um, I appreciate that about you because you dive so deep too. Yeah, I, I just, so I, anyway, I saw this maybe in 2015, I saw a study and I was like, that's interesting. And then I started seeing more and more studies. And so that's why I was so definitive. And when we think about spearmint, the first thing I kind of just want to get into is if there's a difference in how spearmint is or can be used than how we think about peppermint clinically. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, just to set the kind of set the phyto medicine uh, record straight. So peppermint actually is a derivative of spearmint. Like mm. they have like a grandparent uh grandchild relationship and so and so peppermint is like the spicier version right and peppermint especially like enteric coated peppermint we know that's really helpful for named conditions like ibs it's antispasmodic right. that's really helpful 
spearmint has a couple different functional relationships. Both are used in teas, both are used in flavorings, both are used in, I'll say, similar capacities across the industry and across uh, medicine. However, spearmint has some some different applications that peppermint just does not. Let's talk about those different applications. I, I would imagine there are some of the same GI benefits, but can you dive deep into those and then kind of take us around maybe the central part of the matrix and talk about spearmint's benefits? Yeah, I will do my best on that. What I know about spearmint is that there's Right. It's it's the growing plant, right? It grows about a meter tall. And the difference is, is that there are aqueous or water uh, extraction procedures and there are uh, fat soluble or oil based uh, extraction procedures and they derive very different benefits. So, for example, we we might see spearmint as an essential oil. And that's going to be very high in content of carvones. And carvones may have some of that GI benefit. Carvones may have some more effect on hormone levels, whereas the aqueous extraction procedures, especially dried aqueous extraction procedures, do not have those benefits, but they have a significant benefit on like brain function, cognitive function, and reactive agility. Wow. So when you say hormone levels, what do you mean with that with that extraction? Yeah, so I, I can't speak exactly for the essential oil like specifically, but what I can talk about is there was two human clinical studies on spearmint tea and hirsutism, so abnormal hair growth in right. or abnormal patterns. And uh, so both of the studies were conducted with women with hormone imbalances. Unfortunately, there's no studies in men. I wish there were, but there's not. Um, they looked at spearmint tea on used on a daily basis as far as like safety. But then one of those trials looked at 21 women who drank spearmint tea daily for five days and saw reductions in testosterone, right? Hirsutism might be seen in PCOS, hyperandrogen mm -hmm. disorder. And so we saw levels drop in that, which might make us think, oh, do I have to be careful in men? So far, the answer is we don't think so. It's just these hormone imbalanced women, hyperandrogen, that might be a benefit. And because I was chatting extraction, hot water extraction like that is a little bit of both that aqueous extraction, but it's also has some of the lipid panel uh, or lipid profile associated with it. So those carvones that I talked about in the essential oils are also present for a limited time in tea. So they're sort of getting both in that regard. Unfortunately, the studies have had no placebo group and no control group. And so this it's kind of difficult to interpret, to be honest. Yeah, but you're at that early stage, like you were talking about. When you do these dives into a particular nutrient, do you go back into its historical use at all? Do you have any information on how spearmint was traditionally or ancestrally used? Uh, not to the degree that I want, but yes, like spearmint is actually referenced in in biblical uh, in, in biblical writings. It's been around a long time. It actually has been used as like a essentially like a, a cash um, yeah, or a money transfer hmm. crop, and so that and and saffron, which was the other idea that I had <laughs> chatting about, right. um, were fairly expensive. Now spearmint isn't as expensive. It grows in lots of different climates, but yes, the the historical use is runs across like 
the Mediterranean area into uh, Asia. So think China, uh, Northern India, that sort of latitude is really useful for growing spearmint. And so we see it pop up in a variety of different uh, sacred texts as well as non-sacred texts. And was it mostly for flavor or were there recognized medicinal uses? Yeah, I'll say that there were ascribed medicinal uses, which is sometimes common in traditional herbalism, but nothing sort of, not even to the degree of what we think of like, I'll use echinacea as an example. Echinacea has lots of ascribed medicinal properties, but they were actually pretty useful. You could see the effect of echinacea on immune function. Spearmint didn't necessarily have that. So when you're thinking about using spearmint, talking to clinicians today, how we would put it to practice, so to speak, put it to use in our clinics, what would you be recommending we think about and do with it? So I have to tell you that I'm now a spearmint snob. Uh, (laughs) There is a, there is an aqueous extract of spearmint that I'm in absolute in love with. And I'm in love with it, frankly, because of the types of clinical trials that have been done on it. There's some dose dependent studies on it. There's some studies in a variety of different, using different markers and different analysis. Um, So I like 900 milligrams of dried aqueous spearmint for things like cognitive function or attention benefits, typically in adults, or things like reactive agility, like recreational athletes, or maybe even, you know, sub pro athletes. Interesting. So are you now a spearmint tea drinker with some regularity? I, you know, I haven't gone down that path, mostly because I'm not really a tea drinker. I don't really like hot beverages unless it's coffee. So, you know, I fall on that, you know, in that camp, but I haven't really gotten into the spearmint tea. Wow. With all those benefits, I would be thinking that you're making hot tea and even icing it. Yeah. Well, I get it. I get it uh, in the capsule form. So that's. Oh, got it. (laughs) Is it so these 900 milligrams is dried and then encapsulated? That's that's how I take it. it. It wouldn't have to be encapsulated. It could be as a powder that you could reconstitute in water just because it's dried and from an aqueous extract, it should be relatively soluble. And are you personally feeling benefits? Yeah, I've so I've been dosing this at that rate for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. And frankly, my productivity is is higher than it's ever been. Which is saying a lot, Corey, <laughs> for your productivity and focus. Well, I would say I kind of <laughs> needed it. So this, uh, you know, we I came to this ingredient at the right time in my life, which sometimes happens as well. Yeah. Anything else that you're thinking about when you look at the central part of the functional nutrition matrix where we'd be considering benefits of spearmint? Yeah. So, and I'm going to take a little bit of a step back because, because I nerd on this and maybe others do too, is that, you know, like what is spearmint? Spearmint's a whole plant. So what, mm. and I mentioned carvones in the fat soluble part of the plant or the fat extractions, but rosmarinic acid, as well as things like vanillic and caffeic and ferulic acid sulfates are found in the water soluble extract. And rosmarinic acid probably isn't unfamiliar to listeners of uh, your show because it's in things like lemon balm or, or rosemary itself. 
in smaller quantities. The interesting part about spearmint is that they can hybridize the plant enough, not genetically modified, but hybridize the plant to really have high levels of rosmarinic acid. And so if we know what rosmarinic acid does, that's even more helpful because if I look at the center of the matrix, I'm having now benefits down to the, the hormones and neurotransmitters part, ultimately probably leading to sleep, probably some improvements on oxidative stress and energy production, which probably gives us the benefit to the cognitive uh, function and maybe to a degree to the gastrointestinal. Although, like I said, I think that's more the other side of spearmint. So interesting though. And, you know, that combination, like you said, of getting both sides of the coin when we're looking at the aqueous and the lipid. Do I have that right? The aqueous and the lipid? Yep, correct. Yeah, amazing. And it sounds like it's an overall benefit, like it can't hurt. Is that correct? Or are there people we wouldn't be using spearmint with? I wish that there was some study on men. In the aqueous extract, there is a, I'll say more like a safety study showing that men had no changes in things like follicle stimulating hormone or luteinizing hormone, which generally says there's probably also no effect on testosterone. But given that tea study, I think there's a question about the the essential oil or even the tea having a potential effect of lowering testosterone in men. So just generally in men who have testosterone challenges, or I'll even say blood sugar challenges to go more central to your matrix, that would be one of the concerns. But the dried aqueous extract, I have very little concern about. Interesting. When we think about the right side of the matrix, we talked about sleep, we talked about recovery to exercise. Mm -hmm. When we think about it from a culinary perspective, any thoughts on the use of spearmint in our kitchen use? Yeah, I would like to find more uses of it. It's a little bit challenging because of how, I'll say, how pungent it is and how it can kind of take over flavors. Whereas you think of like some of the more modest spices, right? That's why we see, you know, toothpaste makers and shampoo makers using spearmint because a little goes Mm. a very long ways and can overpower Mm -hmm. other, maybe not great smelling or tasting things. Not that you should be eating shampoo, but you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) or toothpaste. Yeah. Well, don't eat the toothpaste either for sure. Um, So what I would say is I would like to, it's just a little bit, it's a pretty small dose in order to get that. And so if I was going to use it culinarily, it would be the leaves, right? The mint leaves, spearmint Mm -hmm. as well as peppermint, right? Roll up into that mint family. Um, And the leaves can be essentially used in any sort of culinary dish that you find it useful. And I suppose ice cream is probably the most common place where we find mint. That's exactly what I was thinking. And, uh, you know, if I go back further, I remember my spearmint lifesavers back in the day, road trips, and preferring those over the peppermint. That made me think about the difference in the flavor, but that flavor is so distorted. So (laughs) who knows if that was even the truth of the flavor. Um, But those distinctions in the sharpness of the peppermint versus the spearmint. Uh, But I love to make a good dairy-free, sugar-free ice cream. So that's a good place to play with the leaves as well. Knowing you have the ears of so many coaches and clinicians, are there some additional things you wish you could shout from the rooftops about spearmint? I think the biggest interest for me is the trend that we are seeing, not just in the market, but in our patients wanting to sort of sharpen their 
mind and realize that they have a lot of things going on. And one of the things that we see deteriorate in people with a lot of things happening is working memory, right? And distinguishing as a clinician, the difference between working memory, like how many things I can kind of work on. I won't say as the, at the same time, cause I don't like multitasking, but how can I switch from one task to another? That's often the best I'll say patient selection criteria. If they don't do that well, then they're probably a good candidate for spearmint in those evidence-based doses. Whereas it's probably of minimal suggestion or minimal benefit to those individuals who have like long-term memory impairment. That's it's sort of a different idea of cognitive performance. And it, yeah, there might be some benefit there, but I think we have other more beneficial approaches than this. Yeah, I like it looking at it from the performance angle. Mm -hmm. It's really optimizing performance. Such a great conversation, Corey. Thank you for doing the deep dive and bringing us into it. Thanks for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.